we continue worshiping together today, receive these words of scripture from the letter to the Philippians, chapter 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Do not worry about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Receive what the Spirit is saying. Good morning, Foundry. It is great to be with you today and uh, be back in this space. This space and this congregation, when I served here as bishop, was a place of healing, was a place of challenge, and was a place of joy. And it's just so great to be back with you. Thanks be to God for this congregation and everything God continues to do in and through you. You are a vital mission congregation. And uh, I and many can, could not be more proud, and people all across uh, not just Washington, D.C., but our nation and even around the world are very much aware of who you are, what you do, and the difference you make in the world. So it's great to be with you. I also want to take this opportunity to uh, thank you. Um, in uh, 2010 or so, uh, my son was an intern here at Foundry Church, Mark Scholl. And um, Mark had a great experience here at Foundry. Uh, he learned um, much about his own calling, um, much about uh, the commitment and work for justice, inclusion, and uh, compassion in God's love. And he now carries that out in his own ministry. He's now a pastor in Madison, New Jersey, where uh, he's doing a great job. Um, congregation is growing. Uh, it's back above pandemic levels. He's connecting well with the community. And uh, earlier this year, he actually did a sermon series on the gospel of Ted Lasso. <laughs> and uh, it, it was uh, quite encouraging to see him do that. And um, he shaved his beard, kept his mustache, dressed like Ted Lasso on Sunday mornings, uh, talked about uh, the gospel of Ted Lasso and what that means for our lives. He took a big risk, though. Uh, there were a number of people in the congregation who hadn't seen Ted Lasso. And so uh, Wednesdays during the day, he would show uh, an episode of Ted Lasso. I said, well, how did that go over? Because, you know, Ted Lasso can be a little earthy. And um, he said they loved it. They loved it and really got into the conversation. Foundry Church has helped us spur that on, and today Beverly and I just want to say thank you very much for the care and compassion that you had for our son in helping birth him into ministry, and uh, he's doing a great job. Um, you know, as we gather today, um, I want to share with you about my mother. My mother was a unique person. She had passion for life. Uh, she, her service was her first calling, um, and uh, she would try and do anything. 
and she would put her whole self into whatever she did. I'll never forget um, when I was about 10 years old or so, um, we had off from school, it was very cold uh, in Philadelphia, and Tukany Creek that was about a half a mile from our house uh, had frozen over. So she said to us, let's go ice skating. Now, you know, when my mother got out on the ice, I thought she was an Olympic ice skater. You know, she just glided so nicely across the ice. And uh, it was just wonderful to uh, watch her skate. But at one point, we said, okay, let's race, let's race. So we all got in a line, and there was a place that was going to be the finish line. And, you know, my mother said, Look, ready, set, go, and down the ice we dash. And, you know, I jump out into the lead, and I'm skating away, and I cross the finish line first. And I turn around, and there I see my mother face down on the ice. She tripped and, and fell. So I and my brothers went back. Uh, she was, her right wrist was badly hurt. Uh, we helped her up. Um, we took her skates off, got her boots on, and we walked home. My father came home, took her to the hospital, and she had a broken wrist. And a cast was put on her wrist. But my mother had some things to deliver to church members in the community. And so she said to me, John, come with me. We're going to deliver some of these different uh, things that need to be delivered to the church members. And my mother had a broken wrist. We had a 1957 Studebaker with three on the column. I'm like, well, Mom, how are you going to drive? And she said, you just come. I'll show you. We get in the car, and she said, now, John, get real close to me over here. This is first gear. Push it up to first gear. So I push it up to first gear. Down is second gear. Then up, over, and up again is third gear. And all the way down is reverse. Hopefully, we don't need reverse. You just have to remember first second and third gears. And I said, okay. So off we went, and uh, she'd tell me, okay, go from first gear to second gear, go now. And I would do this, and we went around the whole community delivering these uh, different things. And I only messed up one time, and thank God we didn't have an accident. Thank God there weren't any police around. <laughs> but uh, that was my mom. And so she was passionate about whatever she did, and she, she was happy about life, and she was happy for us when we did well. And I played football, and um, she, from seven years old all the way through college, when I was in high school, she'd come to all of my games. And um, I'll never forget this one time she was in the stands with the 10 other fans that came to the game that day. <laughs> And uh, she was seated right there, so proud of her son. I was a quarterback, and I dropped back to pass. Now, you know, as a quarterback, you've got to be sensitive to everything that's going on around you. And I could feel that the defensive end was bearing down on me. And I knew that I had to get, throw the ball before I got tackled by the defensive end. So as I get ready to throw, waiting for the 
for our receiver to make the break, I hear from the stands, throw the ball, John, throw the ball. I wanted to say, Mom, I got this, I got this. Sure enough, I threw the ball, I got tackled, caught the ball, and she cheered and cheered from the stands. That was my mother. Today, I wanna talk with you about choosing joy because happiness isn't enough. In our culture and in our world, we pursue happiness like it's the best thing. And um, happiness is all about stimulus from the outside that we receive and it makes us smile, it makes us laugh, um, it, it just helps to stimulate, stimulate us. And the big challenge is that we are constantly seeking happiness. And we can never get enough happiness, enough stimulation to keep us happy. We have to buy things, we have to do certain things, all kinds of things that we need to do uh, just to keep us happy. Joy, on the other hand, is something that starts on the inside and wells up and goes out. Happiness is something that stimulates and makes us feel good. Joy, on the other hand, rises up from the inside and goes out. And one of the things I want you to do in life is really uh, pay attention to the things that kill joy. There are joy killers out there. Some of them we can name by name, uh, but we won't do that here today. But there are things that um, um, just kill our joy. For instance, perfectionism kills joy. You ever been a part of a project or something, and whoever's leading it or somebody working on it just wants everything to be perfect? And it just takes all of the energy out, it takes all of the enthusiasm out, because everybody is putting all their effort to make it perfect. You know, God doesn't call us to perfectionism. God just needs and wants our best from us. And when we give our best, that's what God wants. As a matter of fact, what I've learned over life is that failure is actually healthy. That um, when we fail, or at least in my life, um, I've learned. I've learned a lot. And I can learn from that and grow from that. And so one of the things that I often tell pastors is, fail early and often in your ministry and continue to grow by those failures. And that's why I'm so successful today. I've failed so many times <laughs> that, uh, you know, it, it's, it's going pretty well for me these days. But I want us not to allow perfectionism to rob the joy that God places in us. Another uh, joy robber is uh, responsibility. Huh. Do, do any of you feel responsible out there? You know, I'm a bishop at the church. You know, I'm responsible for 900 congregations. You know, um, over 900 clergy, uh, budgets, uh, disciples, laity in our congregations. Ah, it can just be overwhelming. I remember when I first became a bishop, 
I thought must have, something must have happened when I became a bishop because everybody wanted to know what I knew and what I thought. And I, you know, they would come to me with questions. And it took me a while to realize all they wanted was my permission. You know, they didn't want my advice. They didn't necessarily want my knowledge. They already had that. But, you know, I had to learn that. A good friend of mine, Gil Rendell, he's a United Methodist clergy person, he would often talk about giving the work back to the people, giving the work back to the people. And so what I learned was when somebody came and asked me a question, I would not answer it. I would say, what do you think? And what do you think you should do? And they would say, well, I'm thinking about this, I'm thinking about this, I'm thinking about this. And I would say, which one do you think you should go with? And they'd say, well, I think this one. And I would say, give it a whirl, give it a try, let's see what happens. And you know, through that, um, I had more joy because I didn't have the weight of the world and the church on my shoulders. And I had all of these good people, God, creative people, God called people to do what God had called them to do. You know, responsibility. I, I learned also a lot about responsibility when I became a grandfather. Now, you know, before I became a grandfather, people talk about their grandchildren and everything. You know, you kind of listen with a half ear. They'd show you pictures. You'd kind of nod and smile. That's really pretty. You know, but grandparents were always so proud of their grandchildren, wanted to show their grandchildren. When I became a grandfather, I started doing the same thing. But here's what I learned. When our granddaughter, Elise, was born to Mark and Meredith, I looked at Elise. I said, oh, isn't she beautiful? I said, my legacy will live on through her. And uh, she brings me great joy and life. And then I noticed when my son, Mark, looked at Elise, he did the same thing. Oh, isn't she beautiful? Oh, my legacy will live on for her. She brings such joy. And then he would say, I wonder if her diaper needs to be changed. I, what am I going to do when boys start coming around, or girls? And then he would say, how am I ever going to pay for college? It was a wonderful thing not to have any responsibility. I could just have joy for my grandchildren. <laughs> I didn't have to have any responsibility. You know, they'd come to the house and they'd say, Pop, is it right if we go in the pantry? Because that's where we keep cookies and different things. And I'd say, sure. And they'd come out with candy or cookies and their mom would say, it's 10 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> so that's grandparenting. You know, you're released from the responsibility. Sometimes we take on more responsibility than is ours. And the more we can share the work with the people, the more we can share responsibility with the people, the better we all are because we are in it together. And then the third joy killer is the pursuit of happiness the utter pursuit of happiness, that I need to find something today that will make me happy. I need to find some stimulus, some activity, some new thing, something 
that will just make me happy. And what we realize is that happiness is fleeting. It lasts for the moment. And so how does joy well up within us? You know that passage that we heard this morning, rejoice in the Lord always, again I say rejoice. You know where Paul wrote that from? Prison. He was in prison when he wrote that. He had a sense of joy because he had a sense of peace that in the midst of all the turmoil and the craziness that was all going on, God was with him. And I don't know about you, but there's enough craziness in the world and in our culture that wants to continue to steal joy from us. And how is it that we have a centeredness in the peace of God that God is with us all the time? My mother lived a good life and her heart began to wear out and it just began to get slower. She had two pacemakers put in and uh, she was in and out of the hospital with congestive heart failure, you know, a number of times. And this one time I got a call that she was back in the hospital, she was in the emergency room. And so I went to the emergency room and the doctor was standing there talking to somebody else. Before I went in to see my mom, I just wanted to you know, see, get the update. And he talked and talked. He saw me, didn't pay attention to me. So I finally interrupted. And I said, Doctor, I'm John Shaw. My mother's in the room here. Um, what can you tell me? He said, you know, her heart's wearing out. And it's, there's nothing we can really do. I said, okay. So I went in to see my mom, and we talked. And she said to me, you know, John, I'm ready. I'm ready. I said, you sure, Mom? She said, yeah, nothing. I I I'm ready. So I said, okay, I'll go out and talk to the doctor. So I go out, and I tell the doctor, you know, my mom's really ready to be released, and uh, we don't want anything done. So the doctor comes walking in briskly into the hospital room, leans over my mother and says, Eleanor, Eleanor. And I wanted to say, Doc, it's her heart, not her hearing. She can hear. <laughs> Eleanor, you're, you don't want anything more. And my mother shakes her head, no. And the doctor looks at me, and he storms out. He said, Mom. My mother said, John, I was thinking about it. And I want to get to my next birthday and have a big birthday party and invite everybody to come that we might celebrate. Well, her birthday was about four months away. And I said, Mom, you're not going to make it to your next birthday. So we talked some more, and she said, okay, I'll go on hospice. So I said, you're going to go on hospice? Yeah, I'm going to go on hospice. I said, okay, I'll go let the doctor know. So I go out, tell the doctor, 
Mom's wanting to go on hospice. The doctor comes briskly in, leans over my mom again, Eleanor, Eleanor, you want to go on hospice? My mother shakes her head violently, no. The doctor looks at me. I wanted to say, I'll take care of this doctor. I'm going to kill her. So out the doctor goes, and I said, Mom, what? She said, John, hospice is too expensive. I don't want any money spent. So finally, her primary doctor came and got us a room. And the whole family came. And grandkids and friends from the neighborhood, we all said goodbye to mom. We sang, we talked, we reminisced. And then as the day turned into evening, the people left. And then as the evening turned into night, just my brother and I and our daughter, Kristen. Mom's breathing just got slower and slower and slower. And finally, very peacefully, Mom passed. I went out to the nurse's station. I said, Mom has passed. The nurse came in, said, can I turn on the light? I said, yes. And you could see that she was peacefully lying there. And uh, she said, I'll go get a doctor, because we need a doctor to pronounce. And so she went out, 10 minutes went by, 20 minutes went by, 30 minutes went by. I went out to the desk. She said, we don't have many doctors in the hospital. It's very late. An hour after mom had passed, a doctor came. I saw, I went out, I overheard the doctor say to the nurse, are there any forms I need to fill out? I said, oh good, we have a rookie doctor. He's never done this before. So he comes in, this young doctor. He says, can I turn on the light? I said, sure. By then, mom's all gray. And he takes his stethoscope and he's very gently placing it on her and listening. And then he gets to her heart and he jumps back. He says, she's alive. I said, doc, she's gray, she's gone. He said, I heard a heartbeat. Thought for a moment, it's her pacemaker. You heard her pacemaker. So as my brother Stephen and I walked out of the hospital, arm in arm, we laughed. We said, even from the other side, mom is still teaching. <laughs> and that helped the joy well up within us. The knowing that mom was gonna be with us always. And to know that mom was at peace and at rest, and that she could still make us laugh. In life, choose joy, because happiness isn't enough.